Amen. Let's stretch your hands because Shelly's got a powerful word for us today. And um, I want it to go deep into our hearts. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we say thank you for the word that's burning inside of Shelly at this moment. We thank you for the anointing and the call of God on her life to teach the word, to bring liberty to captives, freedom to our hearts. And so today, God, we expect this word to impact our hearts. We expect the anointing to come and fall. We will hear you, God, today through our sister Shelly as you anoint her lips to teach us the ways of righteousness. We thank you for her and for your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I feel loud. Should I move back a little? Okay. Well, wow, that was a powerful time of worship, and that was amazing. I was kind of giggling because of the joy of the Lord, um, but it was just also kind of cool that the Lord has set you up to receive the message that I'm about to bring to you, um, because I'm getting ready to just tell you all about yourself, and... You needed a little joy to kind of carry you through. Not in a bad way, though. Only the way the Lord likes to do. Um, I'm just going to pray one thing. Um, Father God, I thank you that you've called me to be the farmer today that scatters your seed. And so, Lord God, as your seed comes out of my mouth, God, I just pray that your angels would just stop the enemy from snatching it off the path. Lord, that your angels and your Holy Spirit would um, pluck the weeds out of their hearts, Lord, that they would remove the rocks so that this seed would fall on soil that is good ground and it will take root deep down inside of their lives so that they can become powerful. Father God, we just ask that in Jesus' name. Okay, so uh, my goal today is to expose a mindset that many of us walk in, probably most of us, maybe if not all of us, but that's being a little presumptuous. But there is a mindset that we walk in that we don't even know that we're doing it. And we don't even know that this mindset or this, this way of thinking is hindering us from um, being powerful in the Lord and it's hindering us from um, really fulfilling the call of God in our lives. And we all know that the, that the plot of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. And um, I truly believe that his, his mission is to keep us, number one, from either knowing the truth of Jesus. And if that doesn't work out, then he goes to plan B, which is keep you from fulfilling your purpose in the Lord. And so today we are going to expose that mindset or expose that plan of the enemy so that we can get out of that, so that we can move on from it. So um, we're going to go to, we're going to start here in Matthew 7. We're just going to get right into the word. And um, we're going to Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. This journey began for me when the Lord really highlighted the scripture, and he really told me, he said, Shelly, you've built your house on sand, and I want you to tear it down, and I want you to rebuild it on the rock. I'm going to go to the next one. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. If anyone builds this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. This is talking about our motive for the works that we do on earth. When we stand before the Lord, um, I think many times many of us are going to get to the end of our life and we're going to stand before the Lord and the Lord is going to say, you know, you did a lot of really good things, but you didn't do them in my name. You did them in yours. Your motive was to build up yourself. You had a self-seeking motive. And this is what we're going to expose today. We're going to expose our self-seeking motives um, because we want to stand before the Lord and the Lord to say, well done. Right? Is that right? Okay. I have been walking out this... um, journey, I suppose, for a couple of years now, and uh, I have made a lot of mistakes along the way, and, but I, I think the Lord has shown me um, some pretty cool stuff as well, and so this today is kind of a culmination of um, all I've been through and all the things that the Lord has shown me so that, that you can, I've kind of plowed that hard ground, and so that you guys can kind of come behind me and, and walk through it. The hot topic today is codependency. Now, codependency is a, um, it's kind of a term that psychiatrists and counselors use, and it's kind of a real formal term, and I don't really um, like the formalness of it. We may rename it to something else one of these days, but it it is um, defined as a psychological condition or relationship in which a person is controlled or manipulated by another who is affected with a pathological condition, such as addiction to alcohol or heroin. So the, the term codependency that you would hear from your psychiatrist would be if you had this unhealthy relationship with your child who is a drug addict, you're constantly rescuing them and fixing them and enabling them. Have you guys heard of the term enabling? Okay. We're not talking about that specific of a definition. We're going to use this broad, a broader way of talking about codependency. And that is up here. Codependency is a dependence on the needs of another or a dependence on control by another. Basically, what's that, what that means is that codependent people need to be needed by someone. And they need someone to need them. Does that make sense? It's like, I, I need... I'm, I'm dependent on the needs of another. I have to fix somebody else, and the dependence or control by another is I need you to fix me. 
Do you see what I'm saying? It's a codependent, um, and it's, it's, it's a relational thing. It's the way we relate to one another. A better term, I, I wish I would have called it, was powerless relational dynamics. That's how Danny Silk uh, described it. But we, when we're young, we tend to experience and interpret trauma and, and unhealthy relationships in a message that says we are powerless, whether it's truth or perception. So, for example, if you are a child and there is a lot of chaos that goes on around you, or even, it may not even be actual chaos, it might be that you're perceiving that chaos happens. We begin to take on mindsets and thought patterns and lenses Um, that cause us to kind of filter our life, the rest of our lives, through those lenses until the Lord Jesus sets us free. And so today we're going to talk about that. So today we're going to talk about the lenses of powerlessness. And... The best way that I can describe the lenses of powerlessness would be um, from the, you guys all saw the movie of National Treasure. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so these, this is a picture of the lenses on National Treasure. And do you remember that when, when he put the lenses on, the way he saw the map changed? And he could take those little, you know, there's different ones, and you could change it at all times to move in and out of these different ways of looking. And so if you had all of the lenses in front of you, then you saw it one way. But if you kind of pulled one of the lenses back, you could see it a different way. This is how codependency is, okay? You put on the lenses, and you kind of shift in and out of these different roles. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But this is what happens. Uh, The lie of being powerless, when we put on these lenses of powerlessness, here's what we do, is we say, you know... Tom, he's really happy, and I need some of that happy. I'm going to, like, befriend you. I'm just going to consume all of your happy until I'm good. See what I'm saying? It's like we have this way of, um, of, of approaching life as consumers, so I'm going to read a And here's what we do. These, these are the lenses. And this is what we do. We do something called triangulation. I'm going to, it's all going to make sense, I promise. Okay, when you believe that other people are scary, unsafe, and more powerful than you, and when you believe that you need to get them to meet your needs, then you have three possible roles you can play in relationships. The victim, the bad guy, or the rescuer. If you're the victim, you're looking for a rescuer to make you feel safe and happy. If you're the bad guy, you're using control and intimidation to protect yourself or get someone to meet your needs. If you're a rescuer, you're taking responsibility for someone else's life in an attempt to feel powerful. Powerless people will switch in and out of these roles in relational interactions. So this is triangulation, and we're going to pretend like that's a triangle. That's a circle. (laughs) See that? I'm a new PowerPointer. Gage helped me. (laughs) We bonded. He rescued me. (laughs) Because I'm a PowerPoint victim. 
Okay, so triangulation. This is basically what I'm saying. Okay, so now that I've got all these definitions out there, I can kind of, okay, this is going to make more sense. So when you are a powerless person, you've received the message that you're powerless. What you do is you take, so to speak, this is the way the Lord showed me. You take these lenses and you put them on. And you put them on at a very young age to where that you are so used to wearing them that you have no idea that you're wearing these glasses, okay? And you begin to interact with people according to how you see through these lenses. And what you do is depending on the relationship that you're in depends on which, you know, lens is down at the time. You can be in victim mode, have your victim lenses on with your parents, constantly playing the victim or, you know, or whatever, or with your husband. Never do that. But you can be in rescuer mode when it comes to your children, and you rescue your children out of something, or somebody that you mentor, or whatever. And then, obviously, the bad guy, you know, we, we just become the bad guy with it, whoever really we get irritated at. And so, but we're constantly switching in and out. The, the, the lenses themselves are the codependent or the powerless lenses, but we shift in and out of these roles based on the relationship that we have. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to define each lens, each position on the triangle, okay? We're going to first talk about the victim. This is the perpetual state that I lived in for most of my life. Victim lenses were my favorite. We almost always pick a favorite, you know what I'm saying? And then we occasionally kind of slide down another way of looking at people or interacting. But victim, that, that was me. So when you have your victim lenses on, you believe that pity equals love. There, there's a lie that you believe that if you feel sorry for me, you fix my problem. So my main goal in relating to you is to get you to feel sorry for me. And as I do that, I will motivate you. I'm going to spark something in you to come fix my problem for me because you feel so, oh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm using manipulation to kind of pull you in to fix my problem. The other lie that the victim believes is the only way you'll partner with me is if I'm the victim, if I'm pitiful. I have to just be, oh, it's so awful. I mean, it's so hard for me to get out the door on Sunday mornings. It's just so bad. Feel sorry for me. I never do that to my husband. I need someone to come along and fix my problem because I'm not capable. One of the main lies of a victim is I'm not capable of fixing my own life. I need somebody else to come along. There's a fear of making mistakes. There's a fear of stepping out and trying new things, and I'm pretty sure that's on there too. If I can get you to feel sorry for me, you will approve of my weakness or my tendency towards a particular sin. Yeah. Well, you know, my life's really stressful right now. It's really stressful, and so, you know, I mean, I can't even think about quitting smoking right now because I just can't. I just, my life's too stressed. The more miserable I am, the more you will have to try to make me feel better. It's just, again, it's pulling. It's pulling from someone. It's like you, ooh, I need you. It's better to try, it's better not to try than to try and fail. I mentioned that earlier. It's your job to make me happy. Yeah. 
think that might be it. Yes. So the language of a victim consists of I can't, I have to, I hope one day. I've seen Facebook statuses that says, um, I hope everybody shuts their mouth so that I can have a good day. As if your happiness is completely dependent on someone else's behavior. You get what I'm saying? You have given away your power. So this, I said this before, this was the perpetual state that I lived in for years. And you know, how could I help it? I had a rescuer sister. I had a rescuer dad. It wasn't my fault I was the victim. But I can remember the first time that I put the lenses on. Actually, the Lord showed me. And Jenny, you're going to think this is hysterical. I was cooking soup in third grade. And I, we had a gas stove. And there was a towel that was like laid across the thing. And I didn't notice it. And so I'm turning on the stove to make some soup. And the towel caught fire. And, I'm, and I pick it up. And I'm standing there going, Jenny! Jenny, because I have no idea what to do with this thing. No idea what to do with this flaming towel. The thought crosses my mind, drop it on the floor and stomp it out. No, you're going to burn the linoleum. Your mom and dad's going to kill you. What are you supposed to do? And so I'm standing there with fire. And I have, I'm paralyzed. So do you know what Jenny does? She comes walking in. She grabs it up. She puts it in the sink and turns on the water. And I went... That's genius. Why didn't I think of that? I can't solve problems. I mean, I really did. You guys, the enemy is so tricky, and he's so sneaky, cunning, that people don't even know. She had no idea that coming in and rescuing me in that moment, I mean, I needed rescue. I was about to burn down the house. But rescuing me in that moment was going to send me that message. That wasn't her that sent me the message. It was the enemy. Okay? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. The enemy wanted me to think I was not capable of solving problems, especially really, really important, life-altering problems. And it was in that moment that I put on those lenses. I put on the lenses, and I kept them set on victim mode for, like, long, 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 long time. I mean, there were other things. my dad was a rescuer, too, and anytime I would ever have any slight, slight problem, he was constantly fixing it for me. So in ministry, a victim usually isn't able to kind of give out. You know what I'm saying? Um, they're kind of consumers. They're the ones receiving ministry, and don't get me wrong, I am not saying that if you're receiving ministry, you're a victim. Please don't allow the enemy to twist my words. I'm saying it's the constant consumer. It's a consumer um, way of going about things. Um, Victims love being told what to do so that when it goes bad, there's someone to blame. I have never done that with Tom. (laughs) Ever. Okay, so um, their home life is usually chaos. Um, there's not much left over. Usually people with extended illnesses get stuck here because you are a victim of the enemy. Do you see what I'm saying? It's one thing to be a victim. 
you know, there has been an offense towards you. Hell has come against you. But it's another thing to stay stuck there, wearing the lenses, filtering all of your life through that. Does that make sense? Okay. We're going to move on to the rescuer. Now, this is kind of the true codependent by definition. Um, rescuer, most of the time, is the Frankenstein, and the victim is the monster. Does that make sense? Rescuer parents breed victim children. There's no other way that they can really be. <laughs> it's, um, and it's really kind of which came first, the chicken or the egg, which we all know it was the chicken. But do you see what I'm saying? It's like, well, but then if you have, if you have a victim parent and you you know, growing up and you've got a parent that literally can't function, you become the rescuer as a young child. Do you see what I'm saying? We kind of, it kind of creates each other, which is why I call it a cycle. It's like you just suck people into this stupid cycle that the enemy has, and we think it's love. So in, in a rescuer, when you have your codependent lenses set to rescuer, you believe a lie that control equals love. If you let me control you and fix your problem for you, then that means you love, respect, and value me. Fixing you makes me valuable. I get some sort of good feeling from it. I get some sort of validity like, look how good I did at fixing their problem. I am such a genius. Do you ever wonder or do you ever uh, realize that you can fix other people's problem way better than you can fix your own? That is a symptom of a rescuer. You get your power from fixing other people's problems, but you don't have the strength to fix your own because you're probably in victim mode in your home and rescuer mode outside of your home. See what I'm saying? Therefore, if you don't let me fix you, or if you don't take my advice, or if you don't need me, I'm not valued, so I get angry at you. It's my job to make you happy. I am completely in control of your happiness. Therefore, I have to adjust the way I do things in order for you to stay happy all the time. We do that with our kids. My job to make sure my kids are happy. Oh, that's not what you need. You need something else. What is it that, what is it that you need? You want me to take you here? Okay. That's right. Yeah. Don't worry about cleaning your room. It's no big deal. We'll just do it later. I am threatened by everything you do that I didn't decide for you. I have a story about that. I was in um, a codependent relationship, imagine that, with a friend years ago. And um, I was in victim mode because, like I said, that, those, that's my favorite. <laughs> and um, she was a rescuer. And um, I remember that the Lord told me to do something. And I didn't understand why, but the Lord told me to quit caffeine for a season. And, um, and I did. I quit for eight months. And I knew that in that season, that if I were to drink caffeine, that for me, it would have been sin. Because God told me not to. 
Now, I was not at all granola back then, so I had no idea kind of the things that I know now about, you know, your body healing itself and things like that. I didn't know what God was doing or why he told me to do that, but I realize now that God was trying to restore my adrenal glands because I was in fatigue um, from the drugs that I had done years before when I didn't know the Lord. And so God was just giving me a strategy on bringing health to my body, and he said, hey, listen, this caffeine, it's stressing out your adrenals. Of course, I couldn't hear that because I didn't even know that language. But he basically just said, quit caffeine for a season. I want to restore you. And so, but here's the thing. She had heard from God that caffeine was not sin. Okay? It could not fathom, could not, it could not process in her that God would tell me one thing and her something else. And it messed her up. She was threatened by everything that I did that she didn't decide for me. Do you see what I'm saying? And so she was like, I, I just really feel like the Lord is telling you that you need to sit down and drink a cup of coffee to get delivered from this spirit of religion that's on you. And I was like, but you know what? I love to be told what to do. And I, can I just tell you that I miss my coffee like something fierce? And I was like, Ooh, okay, because now it's going to be your fault if I'm wrong. Whatever. You tell me what to do. I love, I love blaming you for it. Do you see what I'm saying? See how that happened? And so, anyway, that is just one example of. But what I don't want you to do is to, you know, now everybody's going, oh, what did my mentor tell me to do? And it didn't work out well for me. I'm going to, oh, I'm so mad right now. <laughs> okay, don't do that because remember, victims, we love being told what to do so much that many times we'll take a suggestion as a command. You know what I'm saying? And be like, oh, you mentioned that? Oh, that means I have to do it. I have to do it. And then we do it. And then we're like, Tom said that if I do this, that it's going to work out. And, and it, it ain't working out. And it's all his fault. And I'm not going to meet with him anymore. Because I'm done. <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? So don't, don't misinterpret. And many times we like to, victims, we're we're victims. <laughs> we like to imagine that things happen when they're really not happening. Okay. In ministry, rescuers like to bite off more than they can chew. Okay. Their family is often neglected um, because of their overcommitting. Okay. This was my husband. I mean, because, you know, I was the victim. He's a rescuer. That's why we got married. Um, I mean that in Jesus, 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 but it felt right because he rescued me. So, but this was Chris and I would get so mad because he would be out rescuing all these people and he had a perfectly helpless victim at home. And I was like, oh, you making me mad. Anyway, but Chris was a rescuer uh, because, because this tends to happen in childhood Chris was a rescuer um, because he was, he was asked to be way more responsible. He was asked to be very responsible as a child. Um, and his mom, it, this is just how it was. His mom worked many hours. She worked hard for the family. And he was in charge of getting his sister and his brother ready for school and off to school. And to, he would take them to kindergarten. And then he would go, I mean, you know, he was 11, 12, 13 years old running the house. He would take his brother to school on his bicycle. His brother would ride on the handlebars, and he would take him to school, and then he would go to his school. You know, he was just, he had to run things. And so that was Chris's mindset. 
it was this, he put on his lenses and he said, if anything's going to get done, it's going to be because I get it done. So he loves the rescuer role, which is why we meshed so well, which is why we didn't mesh so well. You get what I'm saying? Kind of attract what you are, and then you don't like it. Okay. There's something that I have observed about rescuers. Um, you can spot them based on their spiritual gifts. Um, okay, so an evangelist rescuer is the rescuer that, he's the evangelist that's out, you know what I'm saying, doing the ministry, doing this, busy all the time, busy all the time, but the family's at home, and they're like suffering and hurting, and do you see what I'm saying? That's how a, that's how a rescuer manifests through um, an evangelist type of personality. Uh, the rescuer manifests in a pastoral or a shepherding gifting, you know, by constantly really just changing diapers all day long, you know, the getting in the midst of, um, yeah, just, just babying people and, you know, and rescuing people from their problems. The evangelists, they don't, get, they don't get too close most of the time, but the pastor does. You know, I'm getting all up in your midst, and I'm just going to fix your whole entire family. Uh, the prophet a, or a prophetic gifting will come in the, for, in the form of, um, I'm going to hear from God for your life, like, all day, air day, you know. <laughs> I'm just going to, I got this word for you, and, oh, you got to do it. Or the... Um, what was the other one? Oh, the teacher, which is me. If I ever happen to put on my rescuer lenses, which isn't often, because I really like the victim, is I am just going to tell you all about yourself. And I'm just going to show you how what you're doing is so wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? And I'm just going to reason you into fixing your problem for you. And so anyway, that's just something that I've noticed along the way. It's like, oh, that's, that's rescuing, you know, and Anyway, okay, so we're going to move on to, I think I got it all. We're going to move on to the bad guy. The bad guy happens when the victim lenses or the rescuer lenses are no longer working. I have to take drastic measures. I'm going to shift into using force of some sort, whether it be you know, my attitude or literally my fist, you know, um, that is anytime it's not working, that's what we do. Um, I have to, the bad guy lenses are, I have to put myself in protection mode and build walls. And this can look like cold and passive aggressive. And I got my walls up and you are not going to come in. Or it can be a really hot, a very aggressive fit. Either way, you're in bad guy mode, okay? You're using control and manipulation. It doesn't matter. It's just one or the other. In order to get my needs met, I need to manipulate and control you. So basically, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. We all know what a bad guy is. We don't have to. We've all been the bad guy. We all resort to all of that. So in order to stay in relationships... Powerless people, the people who have on these codependent lenses, you make an agreement to exercise mutual control over each other. 
and you use um, tactics like getting upset, withdrawing, nagging, ridiculing, pouting, crying, getting angry, pressure, manipulation, and punishment. But you've basically kind of entered a covenant of, um, does that make sense? It's like I've, I've pulled you in. It's like, Charlene, I need you to rescue me, and I'm going to spill my guts to you all the time. And we make this agreement, you know. It's like, I need to need you but you need me to need you. Do you see what I'm saying? You need to fix me just as much as I need you to fix me. So we enter into this unhealthy, unholy covenant with each other that is not of God. And the rescuer really, really thinks they're doing the work of the Lord. Do you get that? This is the thing that you have built on sand. If you are rescuing people, you are building your house on sand. That work is going to be burned up. It is not holy. You're not really helping. You're controlling so, there are, um, and it was awesome that Michelle talked about the identity today. Um, there is an identity issue in, in those of us who pick up these, these lenses. You know, the, the issue is, I don't know how to fix my problem. You know, I, I don't have a trust in myself. I, I, don't, I don't know how. I don't know how to do it. I don't have worth within myself. And when you have on your rescuer lenses, it's, I don't know how to fix my life, so I'm going to go fix yours. Because yours has way less emotion in it. I can think more clearly when it comes to you, but I can't think clearly. When I'm in the victim mode, I cannot see. So I'm going to go fix your life, and that's going to make me feel good. I'm going to feel worth something. So the codependent cycle, this powerless lenses that we have, it affects every relationship. It affects our, our, our family, our extended family, our friends, our role at church, and it affects discipleship. It affects how we disciple, how we disciple people, okay? Many times we run from discipling because we don't want to encounter an energy-sucking victim. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't want all of our energy, like, pulled out of us. So we're like, I'm not going to disciple anybody because I just can't handle that. But really, what we're doing is we're building up these walls because we have no idea how to set good boundaries with people. Do you see what I'm saying? Really, you're like, I don't know how to fix you other than to rescue you. And I ain't got time for that. So get away. I'm not going to disciple at all. I don't have time to be pulled like that. I don't have time to be busied like that. I don't have time to disciple. I don't have time to do the word of God. I don't have time for that because my life is just going to be sucked from me. Because we have no idea how to set good boundaries. We have no idea how to help people without rescuing them. And there is a big difference. So do you recognize the patterns in your husband? Or your wife. Or your mom or your dad. Or your sister. Most importantly, do you see it in yourself? Because if you attract victims, you are a rescuer. You are wearing those lenses. You just, you are. Otherwise, you, you attract what you are, you know. <clears throat> so the first step in getting freedom 
First of all, do we want freedom? I mean, do we really want it? Is this something that we are like, I am tired of this. I'm tired of walking in this. I'm tired of my house being built on sand. I'm tired of it. I want something else. First, we have to recognize that there is a problem because we can't fix it if we don't know it's broken. And even more painful than it just being a problem is it can lead to sin, and it probably already has. There's a real good possibility that, that you've crossed over, you know what I'm saying, into just being a problem to like, I'm actually in sin in this relationship or whatever. And sin is, I mean, not loving well. You know, we're commanded to love. Okay, so... So in James, James chapter 1, 13 through 16, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say that God is tempting me. God never tempts, is, God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. When we wear these lenses, it's like we are set up for temptation. And in fact, there was one time it says temptations come from our own desires. There was something that I was really trying to get free from, and I had an offense that I could not let go. I mean, you guys, I was like, I don't even know, I don't even know how I'm supposed to let go of this. I don't even know. And I was meeting with Miss Trista, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you're being pulled away by your uh, we'll see. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And the Lord said, the evil desire that is inside your heart is that you love being a victim. And that was it. I loved being the victim. And so if I were to get over this offense, if I were to walk in forgiveness, I like lost my victim card. Do you see what I'm saying? And that was the evil desire that I was being dragged away by. So Evil desires give birth to sinful actions. The evil desire that's inside of our heart is that we just, we, we want to be victims, you guys. We want to be rescuers. We want to gain our identity from something. We need identity at some point and somewhere. And it is part of our sinful nature to do this. Um, it's part of, like, it's, okay, um, Adam and Eve, okay? Eve, she ate of the fruit, and her eyes were opened, and she thought, well, Adam's eyes need to be open too. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to disobey God and I'm going to, I'm going to rescue Adam because he needs his eyes open too. Do you see what I'm saying? Eve's already trying to rescue Adam. Adam plays the victim and tells God, well, she's the one that gave it to me. Do you see what I'm saying? We already see this playing out like right from the get. It's just part of our sinful nature. And, um, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And how many of you are experiencing death in your relationships? Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, I have lost all connection with this person. I can't even, we are so toxic. It is so toxic, and it is so painful, and it is just death. There is no life in this relationship. So we've got to turn from it. Psalm 34, 18 to 19. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous face many troubles, but the Lord rescues them 
from each and every one. It is the Lord's job to rescue us. So if you're a rescuer, the sin that you've committed is I've taken the place of a savior for someone. If you are a victim and you've looked for someone to rescue you, you've put an idol up on the throne and not the Lord. So what am I going to do? (laughs) What am I going to do? We need to repent. I mean, I know it sounds so basic. So basic. But we need to repent. You've got to get with the Lord and you've got to ask the Lord, where have I sinned in this? First of all, we've got to start with the sin part of it. Where have I sinned? Who have I hurt? What have I done? Because I've worn these lenses, what have I walked out? We need to forgive. We need to forgive the people in our lives that were a part of the circumstance for putting on the lenses in the first place. You get that? We've really got to go back. We've got to do some heart surgery with the Lord. And I am skimming over this stuff, and I hate that I'm doing it because this is going to take a long time. You guys have homework. You're not going to walk out of here and be like, woohoo, I took off my lenses. Because you did, but you're, as soon as somebody offends you, you're going to put them puppies right back on. If you don't go through this, these steps. It's taken me two years to walk this out, you guys. Two years. Hopefully it's not going to take you that long. But this is a process. So you've got to forgive. You've got to go back. Back in your life. Okay, Lord, did I have parents who just victimed out, you know? And that caused me to, to feel like I needed to rescue people. You've got to forgive your parents. You've got to forgive them. All these experiences and encounters in your life that have, that have created the situation, that prime moment for, oh yeah, I've got to put these lenses on. And you've got to forgive. And then you need to trade in your lenses. And you're probably going to have to trade them in every day for a season until you get used to walking without him. Yesterday, I was tempted to put my lenses on. I mean, you guys, seriously, like, when life comes at me, I am like, I just want to flop like a fish out of water and, like, throw a big fit on the floor like a, like a two-year-old, you know? Like, I am like, I love being the victim. Uh, no, my sinful man loves being the victim. I, I don't know why. It's just, ugh. It's really nasty. It's this thing about me that I hate, but it's the part of that that piece of me that the Lord is crucifying, and it it is a temptation for me. It is a temptation to put put them on, but but this is what you guys have to understand about that verse, and I'm even going to go back to it because it's this important. Temptation comes from our desire, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. Do not beat yourself up if you are tempted to put on the lenses. Because when you are tempted, you're not sinning. Jesus was tempted, and he didn't sin. 
okay? Go, because so many times when we're walking out our freedom, we're like, we're like, oh, I'm, oh, I wanted to put my victim lenses back on. I'm so mad at myself. I'm not free at all. That's a big fat lie. I'm not, I'm not free. Because if I was free, then I wouldn't even be tempted to do it. And that is not true. That's not scripture. You are going to be tempted to put these lenses back on. It is when it entices us and drags us away that the, these desires give birth to sinful actions. Okay? You're going to be tempted to put them back on. You lay them right back down. And if you do, if it does entice you and drag you away, then you repent for the sinful actions and the person that you sinned against, and you lay the stupid things down again, and you keep going. Do you get that? Don't victim out when you put your lenses on and be like, oh, well, I tried. I'm just going to have to live this way forever. That is not true. Okay? Right. We're mad. Is that it for that? Okay. And this is... This is the biggest thing. When you trade in your lenses, this is what you're trading. Your lenses are a representation of powerlessness. Those lenses say, I am powerless, and I need to gain my power through this, making you do something. The only way I feel powerful is if I'm making you be a certain way. I'm making you rescue me, or I'm making you fix your life. Second Peter Verse 1 and 3. I don't know why there's two threes there. Anyway, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Our knowledge of Him gives us everything we need for a godly life. Do you get that? His divine power is what gives us everything we need. And it's through the knowledge of him. As we come to know the Lord, as we know the Lord more, he is the one who gives us power. It is his powerful lenses that we are to view our life through so that we don't have to fall into this codependent cycle, so that we don't have to have these unhealthy relationships. We've got to filter through the Lord and how the Lord would do things. And and it's all about just understanding that it is divine, you guys. It is not within your strength. It is leaning on him. It's, it's a divine power that comes from him. Now, are we all pumped up? Are we ready to trade in our lenses? Okay. I have some thoughts for you. If you are a powerless person and you've picked up your lenses, you are probably married to a powerless person as well because you attract what you are, okay? When you try to get free, your spouse may not want to be free, okay? And it's real tricky being powerful while you're in a relationship with someone who's powerless, but it is not impossible. I was blessed because as Chris and I began to get this revelation, he actually wanted to be powerful just as much as I did. He really did. He wanted to stop rescuing just as much as I did. I mean, he mourned it a little bit. He, he mourned being able to rescue me. And, but um, he wanted free just as much as I did. 
And so that takes power. But you are a, you are a powerful person, okay? You decide that you are going to get free, and you're just not going to engage, okay, in, in whatever. And God will give you wisdom, and it's a process, and I can't even go into it now because, first of all, we don't even have time. But the process of walking it out is you can do it, okay? The other thing is, is that if you're a rescuer parent, you probably have victim children, okay? And they are not going to turn around and thank you when you stop rescuing them. Mom, thank you so much. You know what? I was getting really tired of you doing everything for me and you solving all my problems. And I feel so powerful right now. It's like amazing. I mean, they are not going to do that. It is not going to happen. You're going to have some resistance in the process, okay? Just have to have grace for yourself, okay? And probably needs to be more teaching on the walking out of it. But right now, our job is we got to take some time to get with the Lord. We've got to take off our lenses. We've got to repent. We've got to repent to the Lord. And we've got to repent to the people that we've pulled, that we've sinned against in this process. We got it? All right, I'm going to end here because we're already over. But if you would just stand. Do you have anything to say? You want me to pray? Stand up. Okay. <laughs> One thing I will... <clears throat> Before Shelly um, prays for us, um, one thing I'll add maybe <clears throat> is that even though we're talking about those unhealthy relationships where you're, if you're a victim, you've mm-hmm. probably got a rescuer in your life, or if you're a rescuer, then you've got lots of victims, mm-hmm. but it, it still is important to have healthy relationships. Yes. Mm-hmm. Someone who will tell you, hey, you know what? You're acting like a victim today, and yep. mm-hmm. I'm not taking your bait, so what yep. are you going to do about that? Right. So as we talk about discipleship, because that's what this is really about, we're we're, we're in the discipling mode. You know, as I worked with Shelly for years, you know, some days I, maybe I was a bad guy every once in a while. Maybe I was a rescuer. But Uh, a lot of the time I would just say, I'm really not moved by your need for me. You know, here's more tissues. (laughs) Clean up your mess when you leave. But we need people in our lives who will say, you know what? You're acting like a rescuer. Stop. Mm -hmm. You're being a bully right now. You need to quit. So relationships are important. And and usually they're the people that you don't want to go to for help. Mm. We all have the favorite pastor or leader or mentor. Because why? Because they probably solve your problems the exact way you like to have your problems solved. Yep. So think about someone else yeah. who's a little healthier, a little further down the road, that you just don't really want to hear it from them. You probably need to hear it from them. Yeah. So go ahead and pray, Shelly. All right. I just feel like we need to do kind of a prophetic act of just, you know, taking off our lenses. Are you guys cool with that? All right. But let's just repent first. Father God, in the name of Jesus. I repent and I ask your forgiveness for sinning against you, Lord. For putting someone on the throne other than you. 
and for putting myself on the throne for someone else. I ask your forgiveness for manipulating people and for even manipulating your word. Help me walk this out, Lord. I receive your forgiveness and I start anew right now in the name of Jesus. Okay, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to just close your eyes so you know like And everybody actually close your eyes. Nobody's looking at you. But I want you to just take a hold of your glasses. Prophetically in the spirit, I want you to literally hold on to these glasses. I want you to just take them off your face. And I just want you to place them at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to ask him, Lord... What do you have in exchange for these lenses? Just allow him to speak to you, to show you what he wants to do in you. If you need prayer, you can come to the front. I'm sure we can have some people from the altar ministry to come up. If you want to be alone with God, just come up here and just get alone with the Lord. I'm just going to pray and seal this up. Father God, I just, I thank you. Thank you for this group of people. And I thank you, God, that you are growing us up. I thank you, Lord, that you sent a prophetic word a few years ago to this church that said that we're not going to be babies anymore, that we're going to be soldiers. And this is part of being a soldier. Is no longer walking in the, in the role of a victim and for no longer cleaning up people's messes for them. That we are going to be we are going to be righteous members of your army to bring and to usher in your presence, to usher in your revival. And so God, we say yes to it. We say yes to this journey. God, we just say yes. We don't know what it looks like, Lord, but We know that if it's with you, then it's going to be good. And so we say yes, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and be blessed.